Anyway, let me show you some pictures of my wife and the kids and where I'm from to give it some context. I'll talk a little bit about what I do and then we'll get into the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this is my wife over here, obviously. And like all of the married men in the room, I'm punching above my weight, okay? And uh, she's just she's called Judith. She's a pediatric occupational therapist. The beauty and the brains, okay? She has them both, all right? I've got a mouth and no hair. That's it, okay? And uh, so she... Uh, loves me, she says, and so I will just take her at her word. And together we have four children. Here they are. And uh, there they go. Look at them all there. We beautiful people there. Over here we have Lucy on the edge. Uh, next month she will be 18, okay? Beside Lucy is Sarah. And next month she will be 18. Then we have Peter in the glasses at the back. Next month he will be 18. He's 18. And then Charlotte at the edge. Next month, can anyone want to guess? 18. She's 18. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have lost you for the rest of the day. That's it, okay? I had you on the accent, now I have you on my quadruplets, all right? That is it. These are my children, all right? And they will be 18 next month, okay? I'm not sure how all that happened. Anyway, thank you very much. Lovely. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. See you later. All right, that's it. Because that's all I've got, just stories of children. That's, that's all. And so they're the pride and joy of our lives, obviously. We've made it. They're 18 next month. They're going to college, university in uh, August or September. And that's it. We go from two to six, back to two again in our house. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. All right? Let me show you a map of Ireland. Anyone ever been to Ireland? Put your hand up. All right? Anyone ever? Everyone, who wants to go to Ireland? Who believes they're Irish? That's everybody. I just think that's the whole, that's the whole shot. Over here, so I live in Derry, at the very top end, Derry, D-E-R-R-Y, London Derry. You two made that, that city famous in their song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, commemorating an event that happened in our city in the early 70s. Belfast is the kind of the regional capital of Northern Ireland, and then I spend a lot of time working in Dublin, and that's where it is there. Okay, so I live in Derry, but I work kind of all over, because I love the church. Do you love the church? I love the church. It's the best thing on the planet, amen? It's what separates us from good business. We are just a good church. We love Jesus. What a worship team you have here, by the way. <gasps> Amen. What do you mean? Come on. They're fantastic. Really good. If I could take them home with me, I tell you what, I could get them around the country. We worship tour. What about a worship tour? Let's do a worship tour. All right, okay. Anyway, moving on. And uh, okay, let me get into the Word of God. Are you ready for the Bible? Yeah. Okay, I want to talk to you today about prayer. I want to talk to you about a prayer for your problem. Anyone without any problems? I didn't think so. All right, so let's get some prayers for our problem. And we're going to talk about the prayer of Jehoshaphat. What a great biblical name right there. The prayer of Jehoshaphat, all right? So I want you to stick your finger in Second Chronicles 20. If you have it, or open up your tablet or your phone, or if you're old school, you've got paper, you know, the olden days. And, uh, and you can look at that. And so Let me give you some introduction about it, then we'll read the thing together, and then we will start. Jehoshaphat, everyone, one of the good ones, okay? One of the good Old Testament kings. He has a heart for God. He has instituted loads of civil and public re religious reforms. He's tore down a few idols in his day, and he just generally loves the Lord. Now, he had a little bit of a speed wobble. He got into an alliance with some unhelpful kings, and so by the time he, we, we get to this prayer, okay, he's back on track. He's aligned with God. He loves God, but he's still feeling a little, you know, under the weather from having maybe made some poor decisions. Anyone in the room? Yeah. Ever made a poor decision? Yeah. 
not just the Irish. Okay, that's, that's all of us, all right? And so when we catch up with him here in 2 Chronicles 20, he loves the Lord, but now he's under attack from three kings for a fight he didn't pick. Does anyone ever feel sometimes they're in the middle of a fight you didn't pick? Because I can pick my own fights. They find me anyway. But sometimes we find ourselves in a kind of a maelstrom, a world of woe that we didn't really choose. And so here we have, we have Jehoshaphat. Here he goes. And so he calls the nation to fast and to pray. And they come together in Jerusalem. And uh, can you imagine the hustle and all the bustle of all the people? What's going to happen? What's going to happen today? And then Jehoshaphat gets up on a plinth or a platform. And the quiet descends on the crowd and he begins to lead the nation in this prayer. Follow along with me if you can. And he prays like this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Oh, come on. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Then he says this, power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, now he makes it personal. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Verse eight, he says, they have lived in it. They have built in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying this, if calamity comes upon us, whether it's the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And I love this. And you may be sort of kind of, we hope, but no, no, you will hear us and save us. Amen. And then he goes on and now he unpacks the problem. And he goes, but look, now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you wouldn't allow us to invade when we were leaving Egypt. And so now here they are, verse 11. That's sort of Brian version there, okay? Verse 11, see now, they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you give us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? A little bit of the Irish in him there. Go get him, God. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And I love this last line, everyone. He says this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so, Father, we just believe right now that for some of us in this room as we pray, we know that there are people that are in a fight they didn't pick. They're in a room of people, they're in a diagnosis, they're in a mindset, there's something, Lord, in a battle that you know what is choosing to surround us. But Father, we don't know what to do, but this morning, our eyes are on you. And so Father, as we engage with our problem, whatever the problem is, you're gonna help us this morning through your word. You're gonna help us this morning in the name of Jesus. And everyone in Belmont Assembly said, Amen. 
I love this prayer. My prayers are nowhere near as potent as this. What about you? My kind of prayers are, oh dear Lord, maybe goodness, and maybe this is my fault, I shouldn't pray at all. Classic Irish, okay, right there. Everything's our fault. And I love this prayer because it's kind of aggressive. And so we're reminded by Jehoshaphat's words of the universal authority of God, aren't we? we? We're reminded that we serve a God who is unchanging. He's the God of the ancestors. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are reminded in his prayer that he is a God without limits, amen? We gotta remember that. He's so powerful, we can't even define it. Jehoshaphat says, power and might are in your hand, singular. What's in the other hand? If power and might's in the one hand, what for dear sakes in the other? How strong is God? We learn that our God is a promise-making God and he's also a promise-keeping God. That's who he is, and we agree that humanity is weak in the face of the odds, but as we do that, we affirm our utter dependence and trust in the one who fights for us. Come on, who needs a prayer like that in their life? We need a prayer like that in your life. So I've got a few minutes left, and I want to give you two or three things that will help you as you navigate, like your your vision says, life together through the problem that you have. Number one is this, God has power for you in your problem. He's got power for you in your problem. It was January 2005. We discovered that Judith was pregnant with our first child. So we thought. And at week seven, she had to go for a little scan. Can you understand me okay? This is going so, so far so good. The accent's okay. All right. All right, so we're good. And so she had to go for a little scan. I didn't even go with her. It wasn't really a big deal. It wasn't a complication. They just wanted to have a little look. And so she went into the hospital, got lay out on the bed, and put the hair gel on, you know, the stuff they do on the belly. And they're having a look around. It's a friend of ours that went to our church at the time. And, uh, and so she has, a, she has a kind of a look around, does kind of this, all right? And then she sets the thing down and she leaves the room. Judas just lying there with her shirt up. Like. Then she comes back in with someone else, okay? And the two of them. <laughs> oh, they're, they're giving it all of that. And then they both leave the room. And so she's up there with her shirt up and going, Hello? And so Sharon, the, the, the doctor, she comes back in and she said this, words we'll never forget. She says, we found four heartbeats. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> and all. And so I'm at work. And so Judith tucks her shirt back in. She drives home and she says, you better come home from work. I says, I can't come home from work. I'm at work. And uh, Come home. I says, I get home. Do you know the shift in tone that says you gotta get home? So I, I went home and I didn't, I didn't know what they'd find, Pastor Joe. I had no idea. So I'm, I'm thinking the worst because there's no way your mind could ever have thought of this, let's face it. So I don't know what they'd find, what they'd saw. Anyway, so I get home and she goes, you better take a seat. I'm like, no, no, I'll stand. She goes, you need to take a seat. I said, I'll stand, sit. <laughs> 
And so I sat down. And then she said, I'll never forget as long as I live. She says, we're not having one baby. Oh, I said, oh, twins. I've always wanted twins. One each. Mine will be the favorite. That's okay. It's, this is a, it's got a natural course to it. It's going to be. And she says, we're not having two. I went, oh, the pitch went up in my voice. Oh, okay. So it's going to be three, three, three. Well, you know, that's going to be busy, but never mind. It'll be okay. We'll manage. We'll manage. It'll be okay. Glory to God. <laughs> you know, that's wonderful. Always wanted a full tribe all at once. Haven't I said that before? Have I never said that ever? No. Anyway, and then she said these words. I promise you, she said these words. She went, guess again. Well, I'd been to one, two, and three. I couldn't go down. <laughs> so the only way was up. And I went four. She says, they found four heartbeats. Oh, I just laughed. I just laughed. What else would you do? And then we cried for months. It was just like laughed. I was like, what is going on? We just, at, at nine o'clock that morning, there was just us. Now it's quarter past 10 and there's us and there's four. I don't know what has happened. This was a fight we didn't pick. Hello? And so our whole world, and still is, just went, went upside down, just in a moment. And we went through, I've got to tell you, we, you know the, the, the scan photographs they give you when they scan the kids, the, the stuff? We, got, we can wallpaper houses with those. We've got thousands of those things. We went for scans and tests and whatever. And so one of the big things was obviously that the odds against the children surviving were 1 million and 12 to 1 against for a healthy quadruplet delivery. And so as part of that process, everybody, they were, they were the doctors, I mean, they, and they were telling us all the risks, all of the, the scenarios, and as a result, giving us some options. In the unlikely, you know, case of all the kids making it through, you know, we want to give you some options you might want to think about. And, and I'm going to talk to you as friends today. Um, one of the options they give us was a fetal reduction. And what that would, well, you, I know by the noise, you know what that is. And so they would take us to Liverpool or Manchester because at the time it wasn't possible in Northern Ireland. And so we would have to travel over and what they would do, they'd take a couple of, a couple of away. And, and the reason they would do it, and on, you know, outside of a faith environment, you understand it because, well, you know, this is your first pregnancy. It, you know, you haven't had room from a baby before and it's, it's going to fill up quick, you know? And so if, if we could take possibly two away, it would give two a better chance to survive and make it through. I was an elder in the church that I went on to pastor at the stage. I was a believer in God. I ran life groups and I preached around a little bit. And I, I want to, I want to, everything within me wants to tell you, everybody, that my wife and I didn't think about it. But the reality is we did. That's just, gee, I liked him until that moment. But you see, you never know what you're going to think until it happens to you. And that's what I love about the church because the church is not a judgy place. Isn't it? Am I on? Yes. 
I, I'm telling you. And so we, we went through, and, and I gotta be honest, we, we wondered if, you know what, in the big scheme of things, would it sounded like sense to us, if we could make more room than the two, could have a better chance. Well, I like that thinking, that could work. And do you know whatever, we, we went to speak to Judas' uh, dad and stepmom, we went to speak to my parents about it, and they're like, well, you know, I hear the heart, I hear you thinking, well, do you know what, it's ultimately your call. And we wondered, and we ebbed and flowed, and we toed around it, and we didn't know what to do, and da-da-da. We went one night to a prayer meeting in Cornerstone, and that was the, the church that we were part of. And we come back from the prayer meeting and there was no, like no mad word from the Lord. I wish there had it, but there was no great, you know, cloud formation telling us what to do. There was no prophetic word that night. And when, when you're in that place, every look of every person, you're hoping it means something, don't you? You're hoping that when you go to church, oh, I hope the preacher preaches to me or I hope somebody slips me an envelope. I hope, I hope I get an answer. Nothing, nothing at all. We got home that night and we sat at the kitchen table, had a, we got the coffee on, whatever, and I just took her hand and she took my hand and we said, you know what, come what may, we're going to have these children. We're going to just go for it. We're just going to go for it. And we resolved this, we resolved to trust God that if the babies were born, he would have to help us look after them. We resolved this, that if the babies didn't make it, he would have to help us to make it. And if they were born and they were going to need care for the rest of their life, in whatever shape or form, then regardless, we believe this, that God had power for us in our problem. And that's where we landed. And I want to encourage you today, there comes a moment when all of the dust settles, when all of the fear kind of leaves you and you get over the shock of the thing, of whatever it is you are facing and all the feelings you carry. Do you know what? They will come to a place of calmly understanding that God has power for you in your problem. Whatever it is. Look at verse six with me. Jehoshaphat's prayer. He said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God in heaven? He says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and mitre in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Jehoshaphat had heard the report. Three armies, not one, not two, but three. Nearly a quadruplet of armies. A triplet of armies, if you will. And they were coming for him and they were not that far away. The Bible tells us in Second Chronicles verse three, classic Bible understatement, he was alarmed. Alarmed, alarmed, freaking out, okay, would be the way I would write that. He was alarmed, okay, and he gets the nation together and they fast and they pray and so on. And, and I love that. I read this quote recently about this text. It said this, that Jehoshaphat acknowledged the sovereign dominion of divine providence and divine power, then invited God to exert it on his behalf. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This is why our prayers and our problems in the midst of what we go through need to become more powerful. They need to become more potent with faith because at that night at our kitchen table, what we did, we stepped into the unknown. Of course we did, but we invited God to exert his power on our behalf. And how many people know our God is a show off. 
come on. Our God is a show of God. Look at the eye. Look at creation. Look at the sea. Look at whatever God. Our God is a show of God. And when you invite the Lord Jesus, when you invite the God of all heaven into your, into your problem and invite him to exert his power on your behalf, he will in Jesus' name, amen? So I wanna encourage you, come on, let's go for whatever your problem is, whatever you're navigating through life together, let's time to put some potency into your words and prayer and invite God. I need you, God, to exert your power on my behalf because it's just too big for me, amen? Come on, we gotta do it. The second thing is this, God has a promise, not only power for you, but he's a promise for you in your problem. Amen. Amen. Lucy is my third child, second daughter. Sarah's born first, so she declares herself to be the eldest. She's born, she's the eldest by a minute. Okay, but there we are, okay. So Lucy is Sarah Peter Lucy. When Lucy was around eight years of age, you know the stage where they were losing teeth? You know, they're, they're growing the adult teeth, whatever. And uh, I remember at one, one, uh, one Monday, Oh, well, one of the things about being a father of, of kids that are losing teeth, you get to pull them out. Yeah. Payback. One of the few moments of payback you get in a, in a quadruplet. You know you get your foot on their chest? Yeah. I can say that here because I'm not in Ireland. I just get out there, it's fine. Don't judge me, you're all the same. Absolutely. Anyway, she had a front tooth, okay, and it wouldn't come out. Now, I was trying. I was trying, but this wasn't going to come out. It would definitely have hurt her if I tried too hard. And so I thought, no, what, I'll leave it. So she got off to school. It was a Monday morning. Uh, Monday afternoon, I was, I was picking them up from school. And she had, a, she had a, a, like, a, like a, a school bag, a little satchel. And the way she came out of school, do you know sometimes the kids, they'll, they'll wear the strap around their head and, and the bag will be, you know, like that. So she comes running out. And of course, I just watched this, the strap. Oh, you know where I'm headed, don't you? It, it, like, a, like a horsey bit in a bridle thing. It just landed there. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. Just wait for this. And she comes thundering out of the school. Next thing is just scream. Tooth! Then the tooth come out and wedge itself on the strap of the thing. And so she lifts this tooth up and you, it was like winning the Heisman Trophy or whatever it is. Just held this thing aloft and the whole school went into slow motion. Tooth. And everybody descended upon her and wanted to see this tooth. All right, I'm like, here we go. I want to get home sometime today. Anyway, she then, all the, all the kids are in this melee. They're looking around. Let me see the tooth. Next thing is a scream in the middle of the crowd. And parents know the tone change, don't you? You know the tone change from, hey, daddy, to daddy! That was that. It was kind of that, daddy! It was like, daddy, get in here. What had happened was that the wound had started to bleed, okay? And when you're that young and you're bleeding from your mouth, you have no idea. You're not putting two and two together, really, on that one. And so I thought, yes, she's asking for me. This is my time to shine, people. I got to tell you, daddies, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. When your daughter's shouting your name to come and help, Ah, Superman moment. I'm taking my shirt off. I'm kicking other kids out of the way. I'm throwing them over my shoulder. Get out of my way. Nothing's stopping me. There we go. And I just get to her. I lift her up. I have got you. And I sweep her away off to the car. Hero. I've 
absolutely. Now, fast forward eight years, all right? Lucy is aggressive, let's say, okay? She wants to win. She studies hard. She wants to be the best. She is, okay? Lovely, creamy center. Lovely child. Loves her daddy. Amen. That's all that matters. But she just wants to go for it. But part of her personality, everyone, is that sometimes she can get a little bit stressed with all the drivenness, yes? And so there was a conversation I had with her last year. I noticed that she was getting a little, okay? There was exams, and she had to go to the gym. Then she had to go to work, and she wasn't her usual self around the house. And I stepped in, and I said, Lucy, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I went, okay, you're not so good. And I said, you know what? Let, let, me, let, let, me, let me do this for you. Going forward in your life, if I see you getting, you know, under pressure, under stress, would you mind if I would call you out on it? Because I can see it, you can't see it, and you're getting upset, and I don't want you to be upset. I want to kind of help you. So if you don't mind, if I see you getting to that edge, okay, would you be okay if I step in and help? And she goes, that would be a great idea. Church, I didn't have too long to wait. About four or five weeks later, she's up there, she's getting freaky, she's getting a bit cheeky, she's busy, she's trying to do everything at once, she's getting under pressure. So I know what sometimes, you know, teenage girls can be like, and, and all, and so I, I, I sent her a WhatsApp message, I chickened out, okay? I chickened out from the face to face, I WhatsApped her, and I said, my darling, do you remember a conversation we had about a month ago when I felt that you were getting a little bit crazy? that I would call you out on it and there was nothing. I'm like, oh, nothing. Delivered tick, blue tick, nothing. I'm waiting for the typing at the top and there's, no, there's nothing happening. I go, oh, this isn't going to work. Then there's typing. I'm like, oh, what? what's coming at the end of this? Anyway, the message came through. Daddy, thank you so much. I was feeling so under pressure, but you stepped in. Da-da-da-da. Thank you. I'll talk to you more when I get home. Score. Score. On both occasions, when she was eight and then she was 16, 17, I stepped in and helped her. The basis of my intervention is fatherhood. I step in to help her because I'm her father, I'm her daddy, I'm her Abba. And as her father, I made a promise that when she needs me, I will help her. Hip hip. Lucy knows. And she goes through life, even now she knows that she has a promise from me for her problems. I may not be able to solve them all of the time, but I will do my best to help her as she journeys through whatever she is journeying through. And the reason I do that is because I am her father. Look at verse seven of, of the prayer. Joseph had, he's praying. Oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land and give it forever to the descendants of, your friend, of Abraham, who is your friend? Let me paraphrase this for you. God, you made a promise to Abraham that this land would always be for your children. We are Abraham's children, he says, and this promised land, your promise to us is now under attack. And so as you fought for Abraham's descendants, we want you to fight for us now. Paraphrase. That's what he says. Why is he praying in this way? Church, he's praying in this way because Jehoshaphat knows that God has a promise for him in his problem. 
That's what he's doing. And I need to tell each and every one of you today, no matter who you are, what age you are, no matter how big or small the problem is, and I know churches of this size, you're gonna have some people in this room, you are facing real deals, real stuff, real time. But I need to tell you today that you have a promise from your Father in heaven for your problem. And in fact, the reality is every promise of the Bible is available for you as you navigate your problem. How? I want to tell you how. Because of Jesus. Amen. 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 Verse 7 again. Come on. Here's, the, here's, the, here's how we know. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land and give it forever? Here it is. Here's how we know. The descendants of Abraham. Can we go all theology on you? Every promise God made to Abraham, he makes to Abraham's descendants. And today that means to everyone who follows Christ. That's what it means, amen? Let's go to Paul in Galatians. In chapter three, he says in verse 16, he says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person. And Paul says, who is Christ? And then in verse 29, I love this. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and therefore heirs of all the promises. Amen? Come on. And Paul, when Paul's writing, he's battling with some Judaizers who he's arguing that the blessings of God are only for Jews that come through Abraham. They're not, they're not for everybody. No, no, they're, they're just for Jews. And Paul plays a masterstroke. He says, look, when God made the promises to Abraham, he didn't just make them to Abraham alone. No, no. Paul says Abraham was carrying someone. Oh, not something. He was carrying someone, a seed, capital S, a divine messianic seed, everyone, through which all of the promises that God made Abraham would be fulfilled. And here's the kicker for you and for me. Paul goes on and he tells the Galatians that if you belong to Jesus, then you and I, in this room today in May are in the spiritual family of Abraham and we are heirs to all of the promises that God made him because of who Jesus is. It's on the basis of Jesus, not our behavior, that activate the promises of God. Amen? It's going to make you feel better right there, just that, that one line. It is on the strength of who Jesus is and not on our humanity that fulfills the promises that Jesus has made to us. Listen to Charles Spurgeon, English Victorian preacher. Listen to the language he uses in this quote. He says this, I like to plunge my hand into the promises. Not a great word. It's the last time you said the word plunge. Not, not, not recently. But you kind of get the idea into the arm. I'm plunging into the promises. And then he says, I find myself able to grasp with the grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. An omnipotent plea with God is, Lord, do as thou hast said. Amen. 
And that is the cry of your heart. It is the cry of my heart. It is the cry of the church for this time on the world that we are living in. And I want to encourage every one of you today, whatever your problem is, there is a promise of God in the Word of God for you. And what we need to do is open the thing, amen? And we got to plunge our hands into the Word of God, pull out the promises of God, and begin to apply them to our lives. Our God is a living God. He is an active God. And He wants to move on your behalf in and through the name of Jesus. Come on. So let's be a church with bold prayers, believing prayers, and prayers that have plucked the promises of God and pray them right back to Him in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, somebody. And one final thing is this. And the worship team, you may join me up here. Want to get ready? We'll, we'll close very, very soon. And the third thing is this, that God has, this is a smaller point, God has a fresh perspective for your problem. Sometimes we can look at the same thing the one way and that's it. We, 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 there's just one outcome because of the perspective we've chosen to apply. But the reality is God has fresh perspective. Look at verse 12. Jehoshaphat says this, we have no power. I think of this. You're the leader of the, you're the king, you're the lead pastor of the church, of the nation, of the people. You get the idea. And the people are standing there. Oh, it's okay. Three armies. Oh, I'll be tight. But the king will know. The king will know. It'll be all right. The king will know. He's a plan. Always a plan. Leaders have a plan. They lead. They know. They know stuff. It's going to be okay. He'll know. Shh, here he comes now. Here he comes. Up on. Hey, Joseph. Whoa. I told you he'll know. He'll know. Put it on Twitter. Or to type it out. Hashtag three armies. And then he gets up and he prays. As the leader, as the man of God, have all of the answers. And he says this. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Imagine the crowd. What now? And then he says this, we do not know what to do. We've got no power and no plan. Onto the crowd walking backwards going, okay, I'll see ya. And he says this, but not my eyes, but our eyes. When you don't know what to do, please know where to look. time for a fresh perspective we've looked at our own strength our own plans our own strategies our own help our own prayers our own giving our own religious rituals la 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 we turn our eyes onto you we turn our eyes onto you we had never walked through a quadruplet pregnancy before oddly enough and when we sat there at that kitchen table, we knew we were on for the adventure of a lifetime and we had no idea. We had no power for this. We had no plan for this. But we knew where to put our eyes. We 
We covered our house in pictures of verses. The car was covered in verses. We printed stuff out. Remember the old days you used to print photographs? You put words on them and we had them everywhere all around our house. God is able. He will fight for you. Our God is the God. They were everywhere. Psalm 23, the good bits. You know, everything was all there. He will lead us. He he can do. Father of many nations. I had one somewhere. Do you know, it was all there. Psalm 121 says this first one. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Who's with me this morning? Come on. Stop looking at your diagnosis. Stop looking at the problem in in, in the same old way. Stop looking at the redundancy threats. Stop looking at, they're real, we can't ignore them. But in this moment, we gotta say, where does my help come from? I know where my help comes from. It's from the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and the earth, amen. We have a big God. He is an almighty God. And I can still recall the day his word came to me for the first time during the pregnancy. The kids were nearly born. It was the second week of June in 2005. Judith was in the local regional hospital in Belfast. And to be fair, she, was, she had incredible faith. You have to meet her. She is unreal. I was a mess. I was at my parents' house. They lived quite close. And I was reading my Bible for months and weeks and weeks and weeks. God, will you not speak to me? Will you not give me a word? Will you not give me some sort of clue that this is going to be okay? Nothing. And then this day, I read these words from Isaiah 60, 21 to 22. It still gets me, church. It's still, oh, it's still all the feels. It says this, Brian, they are the should I have planted. Oh, hello. They're the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I am the Lord. And in its time, I will do it swiftly. And I got to tell you, my whole world shifted. And in that moment, I received not only perspective, I received power and a promise. And as I say, perspective for my problem. That's how good the Word of God is. That's why we got to get plunging into it, everybody. I called Judith and I said, look, I'm going to trust God that he's just spoken. Because we never know. Faith always makes sense behind us, doesn't it? When you look back, you go, oh, God was there. But in the moment, you're never sure. And I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God that he's just spoken. And I said to her, I believe the babies are coming soon and I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to believe that they're going to be okay. 10 days later on the 23rd of June, Sarah was born. I see it still. 9.23 a.m. She was two pounds and 10 ounces. Peter was born a minute later at 9.24. He was two pounds and six ounces. At 9.25, a minute later, Lucy was born weighing two pounds and 13 ounces. And Charlotte was born two minutes later at 9.27 a.m. And she was the lightest at two pounds five. And then I remembered God's word. The smallest and mighty nation. My Charlotte is almost 18. And I will say to her, who are you? And she'll go, I'm a mighty nation. Because that's who God says she is. I'm done, I'm almost done. I don't know what your problem is. And I don't know what you are walking through, but I know this. There is a good chance you're out of options. There's a good chance that you have explored everything and you are at a moment in this room where I just do not know what to do. 
I'm on the phone to Pastor Joey five times a day because I don't know what to do. But I want to remind you today, all the way from Ireland to here, to tell you, you do know where to look. Amen. We know where to look. We got to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We lift up our hearts in worship and prayer because he walks with you as we walk through it. And as we're on this journey, he will release fresh perspective. And when you get a fresh perspective, you get fresh power. You get fresh strength. You get underpinned with the promises of God. And of course, the promises look nothing like the moment you're in, do they? They never do. And he will bring you through to the other side. So come on, let's, let's stand together. Let me pray over you. Let's see if God will do some cool stuff in the room. Hey, why don't we do this? Could we do this? Would this be okay? If you're the one with the problem or you know of somebody with the problem, I want to count to three and on three I want to invite you to come. Just, just walk up to the front. A lot of things go through your mind when you have moments like this and mostly it's like, if I go to the front then they'll know I have a problem. Forget about that. We already know. But it's not about that. Just, just come. You're coming already. One, two, three. There you go. Prayer team, you want to come up as well? That would be awesome. Just, just come forward. I'm not going to wave a wand and the problems will disappear. Not at all. But we are going to pray together. We're going to pray bold prayers this morning. Yes. We're going to go all Jehoshaphat in the room. So if that's you, you want to come up, you got a problem. You need some power for your problem. If that's you, you want to, you know of someone else with a problem, you want to stand for them. Why don't you come as well? Come on, let's get a move of God in the house this morning. Jesus, we love you, Lord, this morning. Let's begin to lift up our hands. Let's lift up our voices. Come on, let's begin to pray like Jehoshaphat. Lord, my God, are you not the God of our ancestors? Is not power and might in your hand? Mighty God, mighty Savior, you are able. You have made promises, Lord, to everyone in this church. My God and my King, you are not too small. Your arm is not too short. You are almighty God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we lift up the name of Jesus in this house. We lift up the name of Jesus in our hearts and in our homes and in our lives and in our sickness and whatever the need is. And we give life. We speak life. We speak healing. We speak blessing. We speak breakthrough. We speak holiness. We speak your blessing. We speak your favor. We speak your anointing. Thank you.
church. Everyone, we're going to go back into some little prayer in a moment, but just this kind of thought in the spirit has hit me here, but just reminded this morning of how Jehoshaphat won the battle. Do you know how he won? You know how he won. So the worship team gets sent out. The Bible says that the worship team went out before him, and as they worshiped God, God set ambushes for the enemy. What would it be like this morning? I'm going to get off here. And where you are, or you want to stay to the front, or I mean, if you want to come forward for worship and you didn't come forward already, come on, let's, let's fill the front. Why don't we do it? What if this team could lead us in, in a song, but you become the, the ambushers? Amen? That there's something in this team this morning that is going to bring a move of deliverance as we worship, as we declare, as we believe. And so, Father, as we worship, Lord, do what only you can do. As we worship, let faith rise, let deliverance come, and Lord, let us see your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's go. Let's get some worship.